Emotions are complicated, aren't they? And depending on how you grew up, you learned a few things about emotions. Maybe you were raised in a house where there are no emotions. Like, we do not feel here. And so if you started to feel like crying, like, don't cry. Don't do that. You got a little angry, like, nope, we don't do that in here. No emotions. Don't show it. Don't feel it. That's not how we do things here. Uh, Maybe you grew up in a house that was the exact opposite. And it was all about emotions. I mean, emotions were king. They ruled the day. So whatever somebody felt, that's what we did. You saw, well, if you feel strongly enough, you get what you want. And so one way or another, you were raised with a certain view of how emotions work and whether or not you should use them, whether or not you should feel that way. And we were all discipled in one way or another with our emotions. Maybe in some good ways and maybe in some not-so-good ways. And the church hasn't necessarily been great in the his- throughout the history of discipling us in our emotions. Because sometimes in, in church, and sometimes when you're growing up, you were told, well, don't feel that way, feel this way instead. Stop that, feel like this. Don't be angry, be happy. Stop being sad, feel happy. You know, stop it and feel this way instead. And so emotions are complicated, they're difficult, we learn about them in different ways, from different places, but there's such a reason, such a very important reason that we feel the way that we feel, because God gave us those emotions for a reason, and he gets to teach us something through them, and he gets to meet us in the middle of our emotions. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about are emotions, and we're going to do that through the book of Psalms. And Psalms is this really wonderful book. Most of the Psalms were written by King David. And David, he was like, I mean, he was like a man's man. He slayed a giant. He said that as a shepherd, he dealt with, you know, with lions and tigers and bears. He was this, exactly, yes, oh my. He was a mighty king. He was a powerful warrior. And yet, you read the Psalms, and you kind of realize, well, David was really in touch with his feelings. He uses a lot of descriptive words about how he feels. He gives some language to our highest highs and our lowest lows. He has some pretty strong complaints that he gives God because of how he feels and how he tries to deal with them. And so over the next few weeks, as we talk through some of our emotions in Psalms, we're going to learn how those are opportunities for God to disciple us. Those are opportunities for God to meet us and help us to grow. So we're going to work on our emotional discipleship. Now, I want you to think about emotions like the dashboard of your car, right? Because on your car, you have all these gauges and lights. They tell you how fast you're going, how many miles you've put on your engine, the the temperature of your oil, how much gas you need, and of course, there's that pesky check engine light, which could mean anything. Now, if you pay attention to those gauges and those lights, you can take care of your car, and you can make sure your car keeps running well. But if you ignore those gauges and you ignore those lights and what they're telling you, you can have some serious trouble. I mean, it doesn't matter how badly you want to believe you have a full tank of gas. When that little orange light comes on, that warning, 
you better go get some gas, and soon. And if you're like, no, it'll be fine, I'm fine, I still got a few more miles in there, and then all of a sudden you just sputter to a stop, you realize, yeah, I guess I should have listened to my car, I needed some gas. And our emotions are the same way. When we have those emotions and those feelings, that's the dashboard for each of us telling us something. Like telling us, hey, warning, there's a reason you feel very apathetic right now. Hey, danger, there's a reason you're so angry and grumpy all the time. Hey, guess what? You need to do something. You need to take care of this because something's going on. That's why you feel the way you feel. And so we have to pay attention to them, just like the dashboard of your car. Now, we get our English word emotion from the Latin word emover. And emover means to move. And our emotions move us. The question is, where are they moving you? So if you imagine that you're like in the vehicle of an emotion, maybe it's the vehicle of of loneliness, you've got a choice. You can let that feeling of loneliness move you to a place of further isolation and depression, or you can let that loneliness move you to a place of depending on God and connecting with him and others. When you feel angry, you can choose to Uh, You begin to think the worst in other people. You can begin to choose to lash out. You can begin to just, you know, clench your teeth and, and, and bite your tongue. Or you can let that anger move you to take positive action, to say, well, maybe there's something God wants me to change. Maybe there's some way God wants me to get involved. And so our emotions are this vehicle we sit in, and they move us, and we get to choose where they move us to. And so as we talk about these emotions, we're going to talk about what the Bible says about quite a few different ones. Some of them feel pretty pleasant, and some of them really don't. But this morning, we're going to start with our first emotion, and that is the emotion of joy. Uh, Quite a few years ago, there was this movie came out called The Lego Movie, and I have to tell you, I love The Lego Movie. Because, yes, it's written for kids, but it's also written for people who were kids in the 90s because there's tons of little references to all kinds of stuff in the Lego movies. And the main character is this guy named Emmett. And Emmett gets up every day, and he's just as excited as he was the day before, and he'll be that excited again tomorrow. And he gets up, and he turns on the news, and he puts on his clothes, and he brushes his teeth, and he goes to the same coffee shop and buys the same overpriced cup of coffee, and he's happy about it. And he goes to work, parks in the same parking spot, does the exact same job every day. He's like, this is so awesome. And the, the song, the theme song of that movie is this little pop tune called Everything is Awesome. And it goes a little something like, the lyrics are something like this. Everything is awesome. Everything is cool when you're part of a team. Everything is awesome when we're living our dream. And then it just repeats because it's a catchy pop tune. It just over and over. And everybody through the whole movie sings this song because everything is awesome. Everything is great. Life is wonderful. But we all know there are days that are not awesome. There are days when you go, I do not feel awesome. This is not awesome. And yet the Lego movie just says, well, what if everything could be awesome? And maybe we ask ourselves that. What, what if? What if there's a way that everything could always be awesome? And you know, as Americans, we've been trying to do that since our country was founded. Go, you know, right there in the Declaration of Independence, it says we are given the right to life, liberty, and right, right there, the pursuit of happiness. It's just right there. Our founding fathers like, hey, everyone should have the right to pursue happiness. 
But it's interesting, isn't it, that they didn't say to pursue life, to pursue liberty. They only said that happiness is the one you have to pursue. Because they probably understood you're always chasing happiness. The goal line always gets moved. I mean, come on, we even talk like this. We say, well, I'll be happy when I graduate college. Well, I'll be happy when I get married. Well, I'll be happy when we, we buy a house. Or I'll be happy when we buy a bigger house. Or, well, I'll finally be happy when the kids move out of the house and then we get some peace and quiet around here. Or, well, I'll be happy when we retire. Or I'll be happy when, when... And you just kind of keep moving the line. When will we be happy? Well, maybe when we do this. Maybe when we do this. Maybe when this happens. And so a lot like Emmett in the Lego movie, we just keep looking to make everything awesome. What if... But what if... What if there's another way? What if there's another way? You know, uh, the popular saying is, happiness is what happens to you. Man, that makes sense. But more than that, that's a nice way to put happiness, but more than that, happiness is really self-centered. Happiness is all about you and what makes you happy and what makes you feel good. Happiness isn't really all that dependent on other people. Because even if you're like, well, when other people feel good, then I feel happy. Well, that's because selfishly you've done something to make them feel good, and now you feel good for making them feel good, and that's why you're happy. Happiness is a lot about you. But joy is something different. Joy is something different altogether. Joy is an emotion that isn't just about what's happening to you. And a lot of times, it isn't even about you. I mean, think about this. James, in his New Testament letter, was able to say, consider it pure joy when you face trials. Hold, hold up. No, James, I think, you've got, I, I think you don't understand. Joy does not happen when we face trials. Come on, James. Now, there's a reason he wrote that. And G.K. Chesterton, who was this great writer in the late 1800s and early 1900s, he wrote... Joy is the gigantic secret of the Christian. So if we want everything to be awesome, what we need is not happiness. We need joy. So how do we get in on that secret of joy that Chesterton talks to us about? Well, let's head over to Psalm 103, 103. And happiness, let me just tell you, it's it's in the Psalms a little bit, but joy, joy is everywhere in the Psalms. Over and over and over, David and some others write all about joy and when it comes and how it makes them feel and how they respond to it. Now, I could have picked any number of Psalms to talk about joy this morning, but I, I just wanted to pick one to focus us on. So I picked Psalm 103. It's in this stretch of Psalms that are all very joyful, very oriented on praising God. But this is this psalm that I think really kind of sums up what happens when we feel the emotion of joy. So here's what David writes. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. 
The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. So David, throughout this psalm, he reminds himself of so many different things that God has done for him and is still doing for him. What's your favorite line in this psalm? I'll tell you mine. Mine is verse 10. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. That's beautiful. That's great news right there. We deserve to be treated so differently than how God actually treats us. And so David is reminding himself of what God has done, but not just for him, but for others. Because he he says, well, he showed his deeds to Moses. He told Moses his plans, and he made his deeds known to Israel when he got them out of Egypt. David isn't just remembering what God has done for him. He's remembering what God has done for others, what God has done in the history of his people. And sometimes we need to remind ourselves what God has done for us, and sometimes we have to remind ourselves what God has done for others. We have to remind ourselves of what he's been up to in the world. Because David, over and over again, he says these things to himself. Because that helps him feel this emotion of joy. So if happiness is what happens to you, then joy is what has been done for you. Happiness is something that happens to you, but joy is something that's already been done for you. Because what happens to you will constantly change. You'll have good days, you'll have bad days, you'll have great seasons and awful seasons. And those things will constantly be changing. And so how you feel will change with those seasons. But no matter what happens to you, what God has done for you will never change. It doesn't matter how great your life is. That does not change what God has been doing throughout history. It doesn't change what he's done for you. And it doesn't matter how horrible life gets or how dark it gets. That does not change what God has done for you and is still doing for you. It doesn't matter what the doctor tells you. 
It doesn't matter when you're at the funeral. None of that, as hard as it is, that does not somehow change what God has done. That does not change the fact that God created the world and he created you. That does not change the fact that he decided to send himself, his son Jesus, to earth to show us how to live and teach us about his kingdom. Well, even when you get the worst news that you can possibly imagine, that does not change the fact that Jesus really walked on this earth, he really lived, he really died on the cross for you. It doesn't change any of that. Those are historical facts. And no matter what might happen in the living room or the doctor's office or at a funeral home, those things are still just as true. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to make it feel any easier. It doesn't mean it's just going to somehow cover and blanket over whatever you're feeling. It still makes it hard. It still makes it difficult. But joy is able to be there alongside all those other emotions. Joy is this reminder that there's something that's been done for you that your circumstances will not change or take away. And we get in on this secret of joy by becoming part of the story God is writing. You get in on God's story, you get in on his activity, and you get to be part of joy. Now joy is not just sort of a, you know, it's not just a state of mind. It's not just, well, if I just think, if I just think the right way, I'll feel the right way. Joy really truly is an emotion. Like you can feel joy. And so joy is something that we have to actually feel and let flow through us. Because it's this feeling of what God has done and what he's still up to. And so that's why in, in this psalm and so many others, David just says, well, well, praise him. Praise him, my inmost being. Everything inside of me, everything I am, I'm going to praise him from the inside out. David's just going to continue to praise. And so when you feel joy, you respond by praising God. And sometimes you praise God to help you feel that sense of joy again. It works a little bit of both ways. But feeling joy does not stop other emotions. And many times joy comes alongside other difficult emotions that we have and is a partner in those moments. You know, David spent a portion of his life running for his life. You see, before he was king, there was a man named Saul who was the king. And Saul grew really jealous of David. I mean, the people would, would sing psalms and they would say, well, Saul has slain his hundreds, but David has slain his thousands, even his tens of thousands. David was younger. David killed Goliath. He was a national hero. He was gifted at the harp. I don't even know if Saul could play the guitar. But David was great. He was the up-and-coming king of Israel. And Saul, out of his jealousy, tried to kill David. And it got so bad at one point, David fled Israel went out into the wilderness, jumped the border a few times into some other nations to stay away from Saul. And I don't know when David wrote this particular psalm, but I do wonder if maybe there were some nights where he was out in a cave in the middle of nowhere all by himself, and he was beginning to feel lonely because he wasn't around his friends anymore. I wonder if he began to just feel sad because he didn't have food from his palace in Jerusalem. He was away from his friends. He was out in this cold, dark cave. And I wonder if as the tears dripped down his cheeks, he just said, praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. And he just reminded himself, God has done such incredible things. I may be in this cave, 
But that doesn't change who God is or what He's done. And I wonder if at times David had to, had to say these things to himself just to help him remember, just to help his heart know it's going to be okay. It's tough right now, but it's going to be okay. Psalm 94.19 says, When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. Psalm 126.5 says, Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. So joy is not just this emotion that all stands, it just has to stand by itself. Joy can come through difficult emotions. Joy can partner with difficult emotions and help us. It really can. And that's why James can write in the New Testament, well, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials. Because James knows these trials you face, these things you deal with, they do not change who God is. They do not change what Jesus did on the cross. Yes, they're difficult, but consider it joy because you are still a children of God. God is still good. God is still in charge. God has still saved you and redeemed you, and you can face this. So there are at least two ways that joy can move us, at least two. The first is joy moves us to celebrate what God has done, to celebrate what God has done. Because when you're in that emotional vehicle of joy and you come kind of that fork in the road, joy can move you one of two ways. Joy can actually move you to think, well, this is a great feeling. I love feeling this way. I don't want to lose this feeling. So I'm just going to sort of hunker down and surround myself with comforts and do whatever I can to not let this feeling disappear. And you just kind of do whatever it takes to make sure you keep feeling that way. And you start thinking more of yourself and you get a little more you know, self-conscious and you get a little more selfish. And this is where I think we get joy and happiness confused. As we think, well, if I just protect what's happening to me, I'll keep feeling really good. I'll keep feeling this way. So joy can move us that way, but joy can also move us a different way. To instead of kind of hunkering down or thinking, well, man, look how great I am. Look at all the wonderful things I've done. Look how good I'm making myself feel. Isn't this great? It can also move you to celebrate what God has done and to say, well, my goodness, look at what God has done. Look at how he's blessed me. Look at how he's been faithful. Look how he's been near me in difficult seasons. And so joy is an opportunity to move yourself to celebrate what God is up to and what he's been doing. The second way that joy can move us is it moves us to face this life. Because again, we get joy and happiness confused, and so joy can kind of move you to live in a bubble and say, well, I, I want to be able to feel this way forever, so what do I need to do to keep feeling this way? Or joy can move you, like James talks about, to face trials, to, to take whatever, whatever's coming at you. You know, the author of Hebrews wrote in chapter 12 about Jesus, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That can't, that can't be right. Let me read that. <clears throat> For the joy set before him, he, en he endured the cross. That, that gets me every time. For the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross. Why? Well, he scorned its shame. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Joy moved Jesus to go to the cross. 
It's hard to say, well, how is the cross like this joyful thing? I mean, it was painful. He prayed, God, is, is there something else we can do? Can we not do the crucifixion thing? Can we do anything else? And Jesus said, no. Th-. God said to Jesus, no, this, this is the only way. This is what has to happen. And so because of joy, Jesus went to the cross. He dealt with it. He faced it. He, fa- he faced this incredibly difficult, painful trial that caused him all sorts of difficult emotions and physical pain and mental turmoil. But he did that because of joy. Because Jesus knew that by doing this, he's going to become part of what God has done for others. You see, what Jesus did in that moment of suffering on the cross is now part of the story we tell ourselves. If we could add to Psalm 103, we'd say, well, God is faithful because he made his deeds known to Jesus, and Jesus went to the cross and died so that I could be saved, so that I could be healed, so that I could be taken up out of the pit. Like, Jesus did that for me. What Jesus did in that moment became part of what God has done for us. And there are times when there may be a hard season and you you don't want to face it. There may be a really difficult person to serve and to love, and you don't want to do that. That's hard. That's not going to feel good. Maybe all kinds of emotions get stirred up in you, but you face it because maybe that thing that you do, that trial that you face, that difficult situation you go through, will become part of what God has done for others. And it will actually cause joy for somebody else and help them see how God is working and how he's active. Because you see, happiness, happiness can't do this. Because when you face a difficult situation, happiness is out. Happiness has packed its bags and it's heading down down the road. Happiness abandons us when situations get difficult. Why? Because happiness is what happens to you. So when what happens to you isn't all that great, say, well, I don't think I can do this anymore. But joy, joy is able to stay with you even when things are not going well. Because joy is not about what's happening to you in the moment. Joy is all about what God has always been doing for you and what he's already done for you. And so joy can move us. Instead of getting self-centered, it can move us to get out of our comfort zone. It can move us to serve and to love others and to face what happens in life. Because life is, it'll be difficult. It'll be tough. We'll face trials. We'll face times of loneliness and sadness and anxiety. But God's joy helps partner with us to get through those those seasons. So if you're after happiness, here's the truth. God is not your answer. God's okay with happiness, but that's not really his goal in life, is to make you really happy. And in fact, following God will oftentimes probably not make you happy. Because there's an awful lot of things in Scripture where God says, hey, that's not the thing, you shouldn't do that. You're like, but but God, that makes me really happy. He's like, yeah, probably shouldn't do that. That's not good for you long term. But if you want joy, then God is your only answer. I mean, if you want happiness, that's fine, but happiness is going to fade. Happiness will fizzle out. You'll have to keep chasing happiness. But if you want joy, you you already have joy. In fact, you can have joy right now. You don't have to search for joy. You don't have to hunt for joy. You don't have to work really, 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 really hard and manipulate the situation to get joy. It's a gift. It's a gift because God's already done all the hard work for you. So I guess what I've been saying this morning is this. 
Joy moves us to become part of the story God is writing. But it's up to you if you want to be a part of that story or not. Let's pray. Dear God, I am so thankful for your gift of joy. And I'm so thankful that joy is something that can come even when life is really difficult, even when we feel sad or lonely or depressed or anxious or angry or shamed or guilty, whatever it might be. I'm so thankful that you've done so much of the hard work to give us joy and to come alongside us when we're, we're, we've got difficult seasons and to be reminded that there is still joy and that joy will come in the middle of those seasons and through those seasons. And Jesus, I'm so thankful that you, for the joy set before you, that you endured the cross and that you put up with its shame and the difficulty around the crucifixion for us and for eating to help extend the invitation so that all of us could become part of God's kingdom. And Holy Spirit, I want to pray right now for anybody in the room or watching this online or listening on the radio, anybody who today does not feel joyful, uh, who just feels really, whether they feel lonely and isolated, whether they feel depressed or anxious or sad, um, for those who've gotten some really terrible news this week and have been grieving that and wrestling with that, I pray that you would be that comforting presence to them. And I pray that you would help remind them that your joy can still be a part of that grieving process and that your joy can come through that process. And I pray, Father, that you would help all of us to be, um, to kind of model your comforting presence when we see others who aren't doing well. Jesus, we love you and we're so thankful for this and so much more that you do for us and give to us. It's in your name that I pray, amen. So as we continue to worship this morning, if you're here in the room and you haven't decided to follow Jesus yet and you want to talk about what that might look like, I'll be down here on the front row and you can come down front and talk with me about that or if you need prayer or anything like that, I'll be down here and during this next psalm, you can come and I'd love to pray with you or talk with you. Let's stand and continue to worship together.